This is the primary law of love that I have distilled from my life experience. When my vain sense of separate identity has slowly eroded away, what remains is an overwhelming sense of connection, togetherness, and merging in the most intimate way. Welcome to episode 23, the last and longest in the series of the Love Always Wins podcast. My name is David Hazen. The ideas I am about to share with you were seeded in my life in the early 1970s during my participation in a school of mysticism called Arika, spelled A-R-I-C-A. The teacher, Oscar Ichazo, said, quote, that though the laws which govern reality are objective, they are not cult, because these cosmic laws inevitably lead to the creation of organic life, and life itself, like all natural phenomena, fulfills a cosmic purpose. Unquote. My life experience since that time has changed the conceptual language that I use and has only deepened my conviction that there are ways of describing the sources and results of human behavior that could be very useful guides to achieving a greater level of security, prosperity, and quality of life. Simple as that. My own experience of the wild, radical, fierce, and revolutionary expansion of what it means to be alive, literally, the Eros of Being Alive, which I spoke about in episode 16, titled Peace is Sexy. This Eros has, for thousands of years, been domesticated or dumbed down as a deity whose many and varied names are attempts to point at a quality of energy that is beyond any nameable concept and not unique to any religion, an energy that is definitely not anthropomorphic or human-like, nor is it theistic, supernatural, I choose to call this energy love, capital L, capital O, capital V, capital E, an acronym for letting old vanity evaporate because... Like I said, when a vain sense of a separate identity has slowly eroded away, what remains is an overwhelming sense of connection, togetherness, belonging, and merging in the most intimate way. There are other rules and laws of love, notably the 40 Rules of Love by Rumi's teacher, Shams Tabrisi, available online to read if you are comfortable with talk about God. But because the word God is treated as a noun and therefore as an entity, I prefer to use the word love to refer to an experience of a dynamic process. So, I believe the following statements to be an adequate summary of the basic behaviors of that process. 1. 
The amount of love energy in the universe is constantly expanding. Energy is expansive in nature, and love energy, the energy that sustains life, is expanding constantly. There are no limits to its expansion. There is always more arriving every day, every moment, endlessly. Just as we live in an ocean of air, we also live in an ocean of love that is much bigger than the planet or even the galaxy in which we reside. Our bodies are not only clouds of tiny whirling particles, we are also containers for the emptiness between the particles. The same emptiness that holds all the particles in working relationships and the same emptiness that holds the planets and stars. So, our bodies and the physical stuff of our surroundings are metaphors, poetic expressions of the mother-father sexy movement process that created us and continues to recreate us in every moment. Our bodies are always rebuilding themselves. We are the result of the love among thousands of our ancestors. We are a process, we humans. We are not entities. We are one dynamic process in constant motion. We are free to choose our individual movement and not free to choose whether or not we belong to the process. We belong to the expansion of love. And the greatest joy in life is to express this belonging with our behavior, our movement, and process. Two, resistance is futile. You will be absorbed by love. You only have a choice about when. Your choice, now or later, you will return to love. It may be after you are dead, or it could be sooner. If you forget that you came from love, that's okay. Everybody forgets. We forget that we have the gift of attention self-management. We can decide to focus on life's most important questions. We can reframe all our conflicts, frustrations, and loneliness as our struggle to remember where the hell did I come from and where the hell am I going? And perhaps most important is the question, who is with me? All human beings long to belong to something greater than their limited existence. Forgetting that we have always belonged to that something, we unconsciously seek strategies for remembering. We are in a relentless and invisible participation, knowing it or not knowing it, in a process of learning and adaption to right relationship, simply recalling our experience of connection. Together, we can let go of the vain and obsolete self-serving fears, hypervigilance, and rigid beliefs 
about other people. We can let go of narcissism, let go of self-centered isolation, competition, opinions, and judgments. And of course, we can't do that alone. Number three, time and space are convenient illusions. The primary stuff of which the universe is made is not matter that occupies space and time, it's experience. Boundaries that define time and space help us understand how fish and birds migrate for crops to produce, how bridges are built, and trains and planes arrive somewhere on time. However, all boundaries are permeable and movable as we change our understanding. For example, the question of where we begin or end has never been fully answered. Our consciousness does not seem to have any before, after, or a location. We can be defined as the seeds of and the seeds for something much, much, much greater than ourselves. That concept seems to correlate with an undeniable experience of one's own lovability, one's own awesome, miraculous beauty, power, and grace, which cannot be explained. Love exists in the primordial feelings and sensations that precede concepts and structures. There is a timeless splendor and generosity to this certainty as if we have become a giant redwood that lives for centuries outliving fire, flood, and earthquakes. Number four, there is no alternative to the pain of learning how to learn how to love. Learning how to learn how to love is experiential. Our finest moments are those in which we absorb and then release what appears to be dark energy, discovering underneath it a brilliance of serenity and joy never before experienced, layer upon layer, deeper and deeper into the heart of love. Our darkest moments are those crises of learning held in the homeostasis of denial because we fear the experience of pain and wish to control it. The pain comes from resisting the reorganization of everything we thought we knew and from the fear that we have not yet fully learned how to love. We fear this reorganizing death of our ego so much because we are clueless about what lies beyond. We must give up the struggle in order to find out. We must finally, completely, irrevocably say to ourselves, I don't know what to do next. Learning how to surrender is how we learn to love. There is no teacher, no book, no webinar that can teach us how to embody this strength. They can only give us encouragement, which is good, but it's a totally do-it-yourself, throw-yourself-off-a-cliff risk 
which will eventually save our lives from ennui. Many dark nights of the soul precede the dawns of serenity, which begin as temporary, elusive, and then settle in as a new normal. 5. Evolution is radical. Scientists who study evolution have seen that the pressure to change and adapt to adverse conditions is both destructive and creative as multiple solutions are attempted. There are many failures. The new species, the new mutations that guarantee the survival of any group of organisms will develop at the periphery, the outer limits, and they appear suddenly. When a new adaptation tests positive for efficacy, its features are rapidly adopted by the entire networked system of its species. There are no modifications or small refinements, no gradual or incremental changes. The same can be said for shifts in human culture, which periodically goes through uncomfortable, frightening transitions into unmapped areas of existence. Those who embrace it first are usually the ones who are deeply immersed in an existential crisis. They are the most prepared to discard the obsolete system, which may claim to be noble and dignified, yet is unprepared to deal with new forms of adversity. Peace education is an example of one of those evolutionary adaptations. Awareness of more democratic and life-affirming tactics and strategies are spreading faster than you can say jump. Suddenly, the survival strategy of letting go of hate is catching on, and the very ground, the legitimacy upon which the haters stand, is shrinking. We have no choice but to let go of polarization. 6. Love always wins. Love is relentlessly dynamic, moving around and through all obstacles, compassionately receiving surrender from all those who have let go of their fear and hate. There is no standing still, no plateau, no fixed position for love. It always has a mission, a purpose, a job to do, a challenge for us to expand, adapt, learn, self-transform, replicate, and belong to love in all respects, all details, completely, to be a perfect and unitary manifestation of love, beauty, harmony, and truth. Oscar Ichazo defined holy will as, quote, the awareness that reality moving with direction and according to fixed natural laws flows with a certain force, and that the easiest way to deal with this force is to move with it, or to serve. It is true that when we reduce our self-importance, we move into a culture of peace in ways that seem surprising and frightening, yet help us grow and evolve to greater levels of security, prosperity, and quality of life. 7. 
the work of love is effortless. While it may appear to be messy and confusing, even painful, there is nothing to figure out, nothing to struggle against. As Yoda said, there is no try, do or do not. It's a paradox, isn't it? When we let go of our fixed ideas about achieving happiness, we begin to contribute, to connect, to grow, to belong, to be in integrity, to play, and to be secure. When we adopt the attitude, uh, quote, I'm not in control. I wonder what might happen next, unquote. The world of possibilities becomes infinite. Predictability is moot. And our highest potential is expressed by participating in what's happening right in front of us. Participation becomes a party. A joyful, effortless party. Number eight. The illusion of separation is the origin of evil. Our mental activity is appropriate for existence in a physical universe and not very well suited for appreciating the meta-universe that is both beyond and within it, similar to a field of energy that permeates everything. When we ignore this energy, we enter into the panic of abandonment and immediately grasp for power, control, and security as if we were on a sinking ship. Then our minds can produce endless reasons for violating the integrity of other people, animals, and all of the natural world. The illusion of separation then becomes even stronger and self-perpetuating. That is evil self-destruction of the small mind and body that is chosen to be separate. And yet, the choice of self-inclusion is always, always present. Self-inclusion comes automatically as we develop skill in listening to others because we see the similarity between the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we are hearing. The irony of our mutual foolishness begins to emerge in bursts of laughter and sometimes in bursts of shared tears. Eventually, as shared insights become the things that we treasure, we discover something unexpected and unpredictable will arise, especially if more than two people are present. Connection and belonging, love, is there waiting. In small groups that are gathered in circles expressing the equality of those present, a wisdom beyond the capacity of any one person will bubble to the surface literally pop out of someone's mouth without any forethought. This has been known in indigenous cultures since the dawn of humanity and lost in the industrialized culture. When given the space to be there, a collective wisdom, a creative solution to a vexing problem, appears spontaneously out of seemingly nowhere. Number nine, life experience eclipses dogma. 
The ineffable experience of life is one's own personal authority that transcends all others. Anyone, including myself, who purports to have expressed edicts, rules, or laws, algorithms that govern the behavior of people or things is open to question. By adding that question, is this true for you, to every dogmatic sweeping generalization, including the laws of man embodied in the legal judicial system, we add the dimension of personal subjective consent and testing for agreement. Our life experience determines what is true for each of us. However, when our experiences begin to overlap and map onto each other acutely and precisely, dogma dissolves into a more universal truth for everybody that is no longer subjective. That is how Oscar Echazo can say with authority, the laws which govern reality are objective. I have several ways in which I question and let go of my dogma. I meditate, talk to my sponsor, participate in my support group, and as I do these things, the more do I simply witness what I put myself through. I see that I'm not just flesh and bone. There is something else beyond me, some other dimensional stuff that energizes me, heals me, takes me to the limit of what I think I can do, and then stretches me further. As this movie is going on, I look around and see other companions around me doing the same thing, transcending whatever limitations they thought they had. So it's not just me. There's a gluey morass of attractive energy in which we are all participating. That conclusion is my universal truth, the law of love. When a vain sense of separate identity has slowly eroded away, what remains is an overwhelming sense of connection, togetherness, belonging, and merging in the most intimate way. My challenge to you is to not believe what I am saying, to actually doubt it, and then experiment, to test, to act as if this were true, and then watch what happens to your life. I hope that you discover a new sense of connection and right relationship to all of your environment. That's all. This is the last episode of the Love Always Wins series. Podcasting is not the most satisfying medium for me to express myself. I love to write for my blog, make videos for my YouTube channel, and I'm now exploring the possibility of in-person public speaking. You can find out more at lovealwayswins.us. And if you go there, please let me know if anything I've said has landed with you by posting a comment there. Thank you. Blessings on your journey.